Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Donnie Jr. Yeah, in even more hot water today, he knew what he was walking into when he walked into that meeting with the Russian lawyer. What do you say? It's all blowing up. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, July 11. How about it? So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us here on the Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, man, it is uh, bacon here in Washington, D.C. But what the hell? That's the way it always is. Hot and humid and a lot of tension around the news of the day. The Senate Senate Republicans just about ready to admit that all their efforts to, to repeal Obamacare are going to fall flat, going to fail Oh, my God, they may end up actually having to work with Democrats. They might actually have to reach across the aisle and get something going with uh, Chuck Schumer and Democratic senators in order to fix Obamacare and not repeal Obamacare. Oh, my God, for senators, Democrats and Republicans to have to work together, wouldn't that be the worst thing that ever happened to this country? If you ask Mitch McConnell and... After denial, after denial, after denial, after denial, uh, and we now have one, one more absolutely confirmed meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and Republican operatives who were in the business. They, he knew it ahead of time of trying to throw this election, Russian government trying to throw this election to his father. How long before he is frog-marched off to jail? What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, all about this Donald Trump, latest Donald news on the Donald Trump meeting. But first, this is the Full Court Press. There you go. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. I feel like we've been building up to this moment, Bill, but we do have a winner of the Major League Baseball Home Run Derby. It oh, my happened. God. Oh, it's so I exciting. Know. It I happened know. last night. As uh, we talked about yesterday with Travis Walter, Travis I, predicted I was that up Aaron so Judge, late last night just watching this Home Run Derby. And, uh, Travis predicted that Aaron Judge, rookie from the New York Yankees, was going to win, and yeah. he, in fact, did win. He faced pretty 
steep uphill climb in the first round. He came back and hit 23 homers in the first round to move on to the second and then to the third. He hit the longest home run balls of the contest. He hit one ball that was 513 feet. And he hit four total home run balls that were over 500 feet, which is insane. It was just completely insane. He didn't break the record for most home runs in the home run derby, but he hit 47 total. So congratulations to rookie Aaron Judge. But again, what's the point? It was awesome to watch him hit those home runs. So but, you know, He like, was hitting the roof of the stadium they were playing in. They, they didn't count it as a home run. But what's the point? It's a powerful display of uh, athleticism. All right. I thought it so, was really okay. fascinating. All right. After the show, I'm going to take you over here to Haynes Point. Sure. To the driving range. Sure. Right. And I'll, and I'll just stand there and I'll... And I'll knock out balls. I don't care see about it. seeing you do it. No, now, if you, you told will me see that, how far those balls go, and I'm going to say, look at all. I look at those great drives. They're not drives. It's not for real. Let, let's put it this way: this may be baseball's last chance to keep kids interested in the game. That that's the big argument. I'll put all it right? this way: if really? someone says to that you, kids really? get excited for this. If someone says to you, first of all, I don't care if you go hit a ball at Hayes Point. I'm telling you, <laughs> but that's if someone the same says, thing. no, it's, it's not. Same, if someone it says, it's not real. If someone says to me. Tiger Woods is hitting balls at Haynes Point, and he's at the driving range. Or Phil Mickelson. I'd it's the same. Go, it's I'd the be, same thing. All I'm saying you? is, it what if Bill it's took, the same thing as you. Yeah, you, no, it's the no, same thing as watching thing. you hit balls. What Shut if Bill up. took it a big thing of steroids anything. first? It doesn't mean anything. Well, what means? I mean, what do you? Well, if he's playing, baseball games don't if mean anything. He's playing anything. in the open, and he hits that great drive that you saw him hit at Haynes Point, and he hits it in the open. And then he becomes like number one on the scoreboard. In that real game, that's re that's something real. And but the game doesn't matter. None of it matters. Nothing matters. The game matters more than a home run dirt. Of all the things that you hate, I love how much you hate the home run. This is worse than McDonald's. It really is. <laughs> Radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, what do you say on a Tuesday, July 11? Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show, uh, wherever you are in this great country of ours, all the way from San Diego to Augusta, Maine, or even Hyannisport, Maine. Wherever we are there with you to bring you the news of the day and to give you a chance to sound off about it and for you to hear uh, the best guests you'll ever hear on progressive uh, television or progressive radio anywhere here on the Bill Press Show. Great to have it with us today. It is a big relief. The Home Run Derby is over and behind us. We don't have to talk about it again. We don't have to think about it again for another whole year, and hopefully by next year they will decide, um, if I have my way, of canceling it. <laughs> Do you think that'll happen? No. No? No. Is it in Washington next year? It is. That'll be a disgrace. A disgrace? You know, because everything in Washington is real, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This is like, yeah, no this phoniness is, here. Uh-uh. Fake baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump will say. Anyhow, so good to have you with us today. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV. We're joining you on YouTube, YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And, of course, on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area. You can find us anywhere and everywhere. It's, you, you, know, you can run, but you can't hide from the Bill Press Show. We are everywhere, including on our podcast, uh, and uh, join our podcast 
uh, anytime during the day. Remember, just by going to BillPressShow.com or to iTunes or wherever you find uh, catch up uh, with your with your favorite cost, uh, podcast. Make us one of them. And we look forward to hearing from you getting your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Yes, indeed, the big news of the day is the latest. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but it took on another level of um, seriousness, another level of trouble for Donald Trump Jr. Late yesterday afternoon, this is, uh, I was at a meeting of the White House Correspondents Association last night, and this is all, this was the buzz, what everybody was talking about, because about 5.30 yesterday afternoon, East Coast time, the New York Times releases a little report, their latest on this Donald Trump meeting with a Russian lawyer close to the Kremlin that happened on July 9, sorry, June 9, 2016. Um, and the, the latest is that Donald Trump not only knew about this, not only had this meeting, not only knew that this person had allegedly informa- damaging information on Hillary Clinton, but also knew, this was the latest from the New York Times yesterday afternoon, that he had been told by email ahead of time that this attorney, she, uh, was close to the Kremlin and was part of, here's the key part, was part of the Russian government's efforts to help Donald Trump in the 2016 election. So let's just stick with the facts. Donald Trump, of course, denying, denying that there was ever any meeting at all between anybody in the Trump campaign and any Russian officials has to admit, and he's not the first one, of course, there was Michael Flynn, there was Jeff Sessions, there was Paul Manafort, there was Carter Page, there was Jared Kushner. Donald Trump Jr. has to admit he had this meeting uh, number one, and number two, so that denial is wrong. He has to admit that the meeting was about information, allegedly, again, harmful to Hillary Clinton, even though originally he said it was all about just a, an adoption program. So denial, second denial, proven untrue. And now the latest from the New York Times is that he was told by email ahead of time that this woman, again, was part of of the Russian government's efforts to throw the election 2016 to Donald Trump. If that's not collusion, I don't know what is. Of course, that is the subject of the FBI investigation. That is the subject of the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee investigations. But if Donald Trump thinks uh, and the White House thinks that they can put this Russian thing, Russian mess, as the president calls it, behind him. The reason they can't is because more and more information keeps coming out, and they make it worse by all of their denials, which prove to be untrue. Uh, and yesterday, they were up uh, They were up at it, uh, up to it again at the uh, briefing, which is an off-camera briefing. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, oh, I haven't seen Sean Spicer in a while. <laughs> Uh, maybe Sean Spicer's trying to save his own reputation by sending her out here to tell all these lies. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, nobody colluded. The president's campaign did not collude in any way. 
No. And Donald, neither did Donald Trump Jr. I would certainly say Don Jr. did not collude with anybody to influence the election. So then they also, by the way, sent out Kellyanne Conway yesterday. Now, she has been limited to Fox and Friends until yesterday. But on uh, yesterday, uh, you know, this was all their uh, damage control, I guess, at the White House. Uh, they sent her out on, yes, Fox and Friends, but then also on CNN New Day with Chris Cuomo and on GMA with George Stephanopoulos. Let's start right there. First of all, so her defense, this is no defense at all. Well, Donald Trump Jr. didn't ask for the meeting. He was invited to the meeting and he, to have a meeting, and he agreed to meet with her. He did not seek the meeting. If you look at his statement, he said that he, the meeting was requested of him and he agreed to the meeting. Well, what does that mean? That still means <laughs> he had anything. the meeting. Yeah, it still right. means he denied, denied there was any meeting, and then he had the meeting. Whether he requested it or not, is, is, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean beans. Totally irrelevant. Uh, and George Stephanopoulos caught her on that and said, hey, wait a minute. You're the one who's out there denying that anybody, anytime, met with the Russians. Back in December, you also denied any contacts between the campaign and Russians. I want to show our audience. Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. I hear people saying it like it's a fact on television. That is just not only inaccurate and false, but it's dangerous. Does the president and, and it does undermine our democracy. So it did turn out to be a fact. So who misled you and why did Don Jr., Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort allow those public denials to stand for so many months? So as I understand it, George, uh, some of the disclosure forms have been amended since that time and to reflect other meetings, including this one. Yeah, so weak. So weak. Yeah, they were out there. They thought they could get away with it. So they just lied and lied and lied and lied and said there was no, there were no contacts at all between people in their campaign and the Russian government. And uh, thanks to the good investigative reporting of the New York Times and the Washington Post, um, every day, almost, it seems, we find out more about meetings that did take place and how serious those meetings were. Uh, Kellyanne Conway then going on CNN, where she and Chris, Chris Cuomo really got into it, and she turns it around. He questions, he, she says, how dare you, how dare you question our, pardon me, our credibility when you work for CNN? Even if it is all I, look, true, I just, I'm, whether I admire, or not it was good information, your, Kellyanne, doesn't mean that it was a smart move to take a meeting with a Russian-connected person who was going to give you negative information about your opponent. That could create huge legal issues. You know that. I admire your moxie sitting there with the CNN Chiron right near you talking oh, about credibility oh. issues. I, well, listen, a couple weeks you I could not have. be more hey, proud I'm to here, have that so CNN Chiron next to me. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, uh, the, the whole CNN thing, right? Like, I know that they love to make CNN a villain, and CNN has screwed up a couple of things. Yeah, I don't necessarily yeah. agree with how they're doing some of their programming, but at the same time, they screwed CNN up yeah. has made some honest mistakes. They had a couple of people who screwed up, and they got fired. They fired so them. So if you want to call them yeah. fake news, I mean, I think that right. takes the air out of the, the, the bubble of it being fake news. If it was yeah. actually fake news, they'd keep the fake stories up there, the wrong stories up there. If the Trump White House fired all the people who've gone out and lied, right? Yeah, it'd be an empty house. Yeah, right. Starting with her. Like, they knowingly but, go starting, out and no, tell say, lies. Starting with him yeah, at right. the very top. Right. Right. Every last, every last one of them. So, 
let's focus on this a little bit because you got to understand what's going on here, right? Now, Reince Priebus says this is a nothing burger, this whole this whole meeting. Uh, what was it? Do- yeah, Donald Trump Jr. yesterday said it was all a big yawn. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Now, first of all, just to repeat, this just catches them in a huge lie that they said they never met with the Russians. Now we know that they did. They said they never talked about anything other adoption. Now we know that they did. They said they didn't know what this meeting was all about. Now we have the email that says, yes, they did. They knew she was an operative representing, working with. She was part of the plan, part of the operation, right, that uh, conducted by the Russian government to throw the 2016 election. And he walks into that meeting. Okay, so first of all, all the lies. That's number one that means. And it certainly is grist for the mill for Robert Mueller and the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee, which are looking into possible collusion. And, of course, Robert Mueller is also looking into obstruction, possible obstruction of justice. Okay. But the other thing that means is this doesn't happen. And I think that's really significant. I've been involved in a lot of campaigns. And yesterday there were Republican and Democratic campaign operatives who came out and said, no, 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 no. If you're running a presidential campaign and somebody comes to you from a foreign government and says, we've got dirt on your opponent and we want to help you defeat your opponent, that is the enemy, not to your political opponent. That's an enemy of the United States trying to interfere in our democratic process, and that should send off all kinds of bells and whistles. John Weaver, John Weaver, who uh, he ran John McCain's campaign. I've, I've met him, don't know him that well, but uh, John he ran John McCain's campaign back in 2000. He ran uh, John Kasich's White House campaign last year. John Weaver, still working with John Kasich, by the way. John Weaver, big Republican campaign manager yesterday, said, quote, I've been involved in nine presidential campaigns. Never happened, never would happen for all kinds of reasons. Stu Stevens says, if you can find somebody in any other presidential campaign who received oppo, meaning opposition research, meaning dirt, from any foreign interest, please raise your hand. Nobody else. And Rick Tyler, who ran Ted Cruz's presidential campaign last year, said if anybody from Russia had approached him or any other country, foreign country, saying, we've got dirt on your opponent, Will you sh- we want to share it with you, will you get together? Rick Tyler said the first thing he would have done was call the FBI. That's how serious this is. And in fact, as Stu Stevens also pointed out, back in 2000, somebody went to the Gore campaign uh, uh, before the first debate, and they had a copy of the prep book that had been put together by the Bush campaign for George W. Bush to study to get ready for the debate. And they turned it over to the Gore campaign, and the first thing the Gore campaign did was call the FBI. They didn't use it. They didn't hide it. They didn't take advantage of it. They called the FBI because this is dirty politics. And especially, especially when you're dealing with, again, a foreign power. So 
Um, again, if this isn't collusion, I don't know what is. And then there's all this other question, of course, looming over this, which is, Daddy, <laughs> do you think now? Do you really think that Daddy didn't know? Manu Raju from CNN talked to uh, Senator Mark Warner uh, about this yesterday. Mark, Mark Warner, of course, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, first of all, just a very quick bite. Uh, do you, uh, if your son did this, uh, I mean, would you want to? Somebody did this in your campaign. Would you know want to know about it? Manu Raju asking that question to, uh, or, and and do you want to talk to Don Jr. Do you want to speak to Don Jr.? Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. If your son did this, what about that? If I was a campaign manager and had been contacted by what may be an agent of a foreign power and was told that that agent might have damaging information about a potential candidate, I think I'd remember that meeting. And I think it's also a little strange as a candidate if if my son or son-in-law met with an official uh, or an agent of a foreign power, I think I'd probably want to hear about that information. Damn right you'd want to hear about that information. And you know, from what we know about the way Donald Trump conducts his operations, right, it's all about loyalty. And it's all about working together. You know, it's, very, it's a very, very tight click. And, man, I got to tell you, damn right he knew about that. I, I believe he knew about this meeting. He knew, he knew about the meeting ahead of time. And he knew about the meeting as soon as it was over. That's the kind of that's the kind of close relationship we've seen between Donald Trump Jr. and Aaron Trump and Ivanka and their father. You know, like for so long, you've done this long enough to know that one of the easy cards to pull that Republicans pull often is you know the Democrats hate America or Democrats aren't are un-American and this yeah, is un-American. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you got to put yeah. America first and make America great again and all that. Just, just at the very core of this issue is Donald Trump and literally everybody else around him at this point, it seems like, was actively working to embarrass America, like the American political process. Uh, embarrass, undermine and it. And undermine the American political process. Yeah. So any Republican that tries to say, oh, this is a nothing burger and there's nothing uh, here yeah, and this yeah. is just how politics works – Remember that. Keep their names. Keep their statements because this is all going to blow up here very soon. I really do think yeah. so. Now, one other thing that this gets into, which is, uh, and and Rachel Maddow got into this last night with uh, Adam Schiff, the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, is the timing. Now, remember, this took place June 9, 2016. Donald Trump had already wrapped up the nomination, wasn't yet officially the nominee. But we didn't know about the Russian. The Russians had not started releasing their emails yet, but they had done the hacking. And Rachel gets into this a timing, which is very significant, with Adam Schiff last night. So you're saying that the Russians had <laughs> done the hacking already, but at the point of this meeting, they were holding the intelligence. They're holding the stuff that they had stolen. Yes. But then after this meeting happened in Trump Tower, they then started releasing it publicly. If this is in June of 2016, that's exactly right. Yes, okay. So <coughs> now let's take that uh, one step further. So what does that mean, okay? That means for Donald Trump, the Russians have this information, they've hacked, 
They get this information, which they say is damaging to Hillary Clinton, and the first person they tell is the son of the president of the Republican nominee. If this is correct, the first person who may have found out that the Russians had decided not just to gather information about what the candidates' positions might be or what they might do in office, but they had made a decision to intervene to try to help a candidate. The first person who may have learned that was the president's son uh, through this email. The president's son, the first person to learn that the Russians have this stuff, they intend, they got it by hacking, and they intend to use it. Man, you know, you know that the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Intelligence Committee, and Robert Mueller want to get into that with Donald Trump Jr. And of course, you know, as with always around Donald Trump, there are all kinds of business connections, right? This woman, this female attorney, is a part of a family. Her family is the family that worked with Donald Trump to try to get a Trump Tower built in Moscow. Uh, and <laughs> this meeting was set up by, this is just, uh, uh, if Hollywood did this in a movie, you wouldn't believe it. This meeting in Trump Tower was set up by the publicity, the, the pub, publicity director, I guess, for a rock star, Russian rock star, Eamon Agagalov. Close enough. Agagalov. Nailed it. Whatever. Anyhow. Marking the tape. Please keep that. Who who performed at the Miss Universe pageant in Moscow, of course, owned by Donald Trump. And Donald Trump himself appeared on stage doing a mock-up of The Apprentice for this rock star. Way, way back. Here it is. Emin, wake up. Come on. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Emin? Emin, let's get with it. You're always late. You're just another pretty face. I'm really tired of you. You're fired. Uh, oh, God, there it is. So it goes from there, the Miss Universe pageant in Moscow, to this woman, now an attorney, <laughs> who comes to New York and meets with Donald Trump Jr. to spill the beans on Hillary Clinton. Oh, my God. We'll see where that goes. We're going to be talking more about that with Sabrina Siddiqui coming up. Uh, Graham Weiss joins us also from the New Republic uh, later today, and then uh, Ben Terrace from the Washington Post. But maybe the most, uh, oh, by the way, we have to do mention up the latest on the healthcare thing. Uh, it looks for sure uh, that um, the Republicans are not going to be able to round up. Uh, it could change, but for the moment, less and less likely Republicans are going to be able to round up enough votes to repeal Obamacare in the Senate. Yesterday, there were protesters filling the halls of the Senate office buildings. Kill this bill. And the good Senator Dick Durbin from Illinois saying, you know what, why don't we just sit down, Republicans and Democrats, and do the right thing. Mend Obamacare. Don't end it. The right wing's headed one direction, the moderates in another direction. Here's a simple answer. Why don't we get together? A bipartisan approach to strengthening the current system. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a novel approach? Wouldn't that, uh, that is absolutely the way Just to imagine. go. That's where they should have started. 
And by the way, you know, it wasn't so long ago that's exactly what would have happened. If Trent Lott had still been Senate Majority Leader, if Tom Daschle had been Senate Majority Leader, Republican or Democrat, if Bob Dole had been Senate Majority Leader, uh, or George Mitchell, this is exactly the way it would have worked, right? Or Harry Reid. No, not Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell who just wants to do everything, just, just for Republican votes, not work with Democrats at all. The same Mitch McConnell, of course, who said right after Barack Obama was elected that our singular goal and number one legislative goal was to prevent Barack Obama from getting a second term. He's just, he's a... He's a, a Mr. Mr. No, Senator No. That's all. You know, he's not for anything. He's just against, against, against. He's cruising towards a colossal. Absolutely. Loss. Yeah. He's he's going to he's going to lose this. I yeah. really think. I don't know how they're going to get out of this. We've talked about this over and over and over again. But for Bish McConnell to pick up more votes, he's going to have to make it a more moderate health care plan or a way more conservative health care plan. And he'll pick up a couple on one side or the other, but not enough either way. So he's he's screwed. Yeah, not going to work. Somebody else who might be screwed after yesterday. Well, this is uh, this is the biggest story of the day, of course. Now, all that Donald Trump Jr. stuff, that's all just the prelude to uh, Chris Christie made his debut yesterday. The rumor is that Chris Christie is in place. Uh, to become the new sports guy in the afternoon on WFAN up in New York, uh, replacing Mike uh, Francesa, who well, get, retires at the end of the year, right, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Chris Christie's in for Mike yesterday uh, and today. Uh, <laughs> keep your cool, Chris, huh? Also, uh, here is a caller that Chris Christie uh, <clears throat> kind of loses it when Mike from Montclair calls. Mike in Montclair. What's up, Mike? Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach that is closed to the entire world except you, yeah. you put your fat ass in a car and go hey. to one that's open to all your constituents. Oh, well, you know, Not just you and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That <laughs> What's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike, I love, I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists oh. in Montclair. Yeah. You know, You're a bully, you Governor, are, you know, and you I don't what? like bullies. You know what? <laughs> Mike... Hold his own there, man. Yeah, what's up, Gov? By the way, what's you know, that, Gov? What's that, Gov? Give Mike a show. Who? Why, why give Chris Christie a show? He, 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 oh, yeah. he kind of sucks. Yeah, I love it, yeah. You get your fat ass in a car and get over to a public beach. <laughs> right? So it's not over. Mike is not, Mike is, Mike is not uh, giving up. And Chris Christie has already co- called him a communist. Now he's going to come back and call him something else. Yeah, yeah you know, you're swearing on the air, Mike. You're, you're, you're a bum. You know, so let's so let's just go, go, but, oh bad optics, okay? Mike. And I'd love to come look at your optics every day, buddy. Oh, that's you know what, and you know what, Mike. What matters is what you do. That's what matters. And what have you done? Oh, what have you done? I love it. End of story. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm telling you, that would be so funny if the general manager of WFAN said. Yeah, Chris. Well, uh, thanks for coming in, but uh, actually, uh, we're going to give this job to Mike. From yeah, Mike from Montclair. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, from, you get Ma- your fat ass handed to you by Mike and Montclair. You're out of a job, buddy. <laughs> Chris Christie. Yeah. What is his uh, his popular popularity rate? Down 15 percent. Fifteen percent. Fifteen percent. But listen, listen. Just remember this, Chris Christie. If you're if you're watching, if you're listening, when Rod Blagojevich left as governor of Illinois. His approval rating was 8%. Chris Christie 
twice yeah. what Rod Blagojevich had. That you know what? That's a good point. Uh-huh. That's a very good point. <laughs> And boy, do they deserve each he's other. He's still got time to get down to that 8%, though. He could, I'll he could tell you hit one it. Thing. He's heading that way. He's certainly <laughs> heading south, yeah. Okay, Graham Vice joining us from the New Republic, coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Stay with us. And you know what, Mike? What matters is what you do. That's what matters. And what have you done? Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, hey, what do you say on a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 11? Uh, it is The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. We're gathered around the table here in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Brought to you today by the uh, United, the I'm sorry, the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, indeed, those men and women in the firefighting departments, no matter where you are in this great land of ours, uh, you count on your local fire department to help you, and they are there on the front lines anytime you need help. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program under the work of the leadership of President Harold Sheetberger. Check their website at IAFF.org. Yes, from the New Republic, Graham Weiss, good friend, uh, great reporter, joining us in studio very excited about the possibility of having Chris Christie on in the afternoon. Listen, right? I'm, ready for, I'm, I'm ready for drive time. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, it's funny. I mean, this has been sort <laughs> of uh, bandied about for at, at least for a uh, half a year or so. And I you know, wrote some quick post at some point saying, you know, I'm, I basically think, you know, I, I, he'd be a better talk radio host than the governor. Instead of yelling at teachers and public employees, he can yell at callers. You know, he's, and he is, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, part of this sort of tragedy of Chris Christie and the, the you know, the, the sort of unbelievable, uh, you know, gross, uh, you know, revelations about Bridgegate and, and, and as his governorship has completely fallen apart, is that this is a guy who, back in the day, I mean, he's such a talented uh, storyteller and, like, you know, so, so, such a mm-hmm. promising, uh, you know, p- politician for the Republican Party. And, and you know, you got to give the guy that, uh, you know, at a town hall or, you know, when he's sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, t- spooling a story, you know, there's there's nobody better. So I, I, I'm going to be glad to see him out of the governor's office and and maybe on the radio. I think he'd be I think he'd be good. Yeah. If he uh, not that his politics would be you know any better no, on the radio. No, but. no. But you know if you go back to 2012, I still say he should have run for that. He was at, that was he was at his peak then. I didn't agree with again his policies, particularly right. his beating up on public employees and teachers. Uh, you know he was the big bully. Yeah. But there was a certain style and a certain brashness almost that was attractive. In a sense, it was sort of that bully side of Donald Trump, but not as mean, right? Maybe, and um, which again, the, the bar is just now ridiculously low. The bar is low. ridiculously <laughs> low. But I think if he had won in 2012, he would have been the nominee and could have gone all the way. But that was his moment. But yes. boy, has he fallen since. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like there's sort of a reoccurring, uh, you know, the, the approval rating just seems to get lower every every time we, we check in on it. You know, I I'm, I think Quinnipiac at some point found that it was the lowest of any governor in like two decades or something, you know, in the whole country. So I'll, I'd have to check on that. But it, it's just amazingly low. But as I did mention, and I, I only know that thanks to the New York Times this morning, they have a little, they have a little thing that I find fascinating. 
on page three where they take little factlets, mm -hmm. you know, that, that are somewhere else in the paper, and they just pull those out, the things that do my most interesting points. And one of them is Rod Blagojevich, former governor of Illinois, left office on his way to federal prison with an 8% <laughs> approval rate. It could always be worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Right. But, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Christie get these jobs. There are all kinds of failed politicians uh, who are uh, on radio and television today. I mean, look at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it's a pretty natural transition. To go from uh, but actually there are to, uh, there are so often they have given jobs to I don't know if you could well, the list oh, to I know. fail to politicians oh, who just miserably failed Mario Cuomo maybe the best example brilliant one of the best speakers I've ever heard you know and they gave him a talk radio show bombed John Kasich remember used to be on Fox News. Yes, because he Kasich. was a but he was a congressman I think and then yep, he went yep, to Fox right, News before right. he started. This back might politics. be kind of a parochial reference. You and I were talking off the air about how I grew up in Rhode Island, but Buddy oh, Cianci, oh man, famously, yeah. you know, was was uh, was on the radio. But uh, Buddy Cianci did all right on oh, the radio. He was he, 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 he was great. did all right. He was like the yeah, yeah. you know would set the agenda. You know, <laughs> right. Sometimes with he was the show. awesome. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> we had him on the air yeah. for, for his his book about. Uh, Politics pasta and pasta. pasta. Politics yeah. and pasta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Pasta. He would sell the mayor's own marinara sauce was his, uh, <laughs> you know, and of course, like, there was some scandal about, like, it turns out the money was, like, going places that it shouldn't <laughs> be going. I mean, it's like, it you was, know, classic. It, it was Buddy Seance. <laughs> right. But I'll tell you one thing. He did a damn good job in Providence. Providence. He brought Providence back. He, he, he's credited with that, and and yeah. uh, and you know, and and it, it almost. I mean, it, even the last time he ran for mayor, when he when he finally didn't win, uh, you know, there was like I think it was something like forty percent of the city that was still wanted to give him another shot. So you know, you know, uh, lovable, lovable rogue was, so is, the, is the phrase that people use to describe yeah, him. No, but. absolutely. All right. So the here in, when the, when we're not talking about Donald Trump Jr. and uh, and every day. More details coming out about this meeting he had with this Russian attorney. Um, there is still the question of is Mitch McConnell going to be able to cobble together a repeal bill in the Senate with just Republican votes? It's looking less and less likely, isn't it? I agree, and I, you know I think you'd have to say that. I, I will say like I any time we're feeling like. It's this thing is dead, and that, uh, and, right. and 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 we're yeah. counting on re <laughs> Republicans to sort of hold firm in their opposition. I think that's a bad, that's an unsafe place to be. Totally. So, totally. so, so yeah. you know, I I I, I am uh, fully open to the idea that uh, any number of these people could ultimately cave under pressure and and be forced to vote for one of these things. It does seem like the two moderates are pretty firmly. Uh, Firmly, uh, is it? Yeah. It's Collins and um, Murkowski. Murkowski, right? Who, who you know, seem pretty firmly opposed to it. Um, but you know, and and now there's talk of maybe uh, some voices are going to call for uh, either shortening or abolishing the August recess and staying and trying to work on it. So yeah, it was, good luck with yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. So. I mean, that, that's not, that's not going to happen. All right. I mean, I, I, we know them well enough to know they've already had their they already have their plans. They yeah. already have their codels. Yeah. Lined up, but it know. is it is crazy. I mean, Trump tweeting out sort of vague threats of you know I can't believe Congress would dare to leave town without passing a beautiful health care bill. I mean, yeah. well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they would. Yeah. All right. So um, th then, th what happens if they don't get the votes? 
Well, I think uh, what I've been writing about uh, that's been interesting is that there's uh, sort of simultaneously uh, as Democrats have been fighting Trump care, uh, there is this now to push for Medicare for all uh, and to have that be the Democrats' new uh, bold, a- ambitious alternative to uh, just simply defending the Affordable Care Act. Uh, yes. And, uh, and it, you know, that is a movement that's growing. I mean, so obviously uh, John Conyers in the, in the House uh, <laughs> has had perpetually legislation uh, to do this. That bill this year had a record number of uh, sponsors. Um, and he, I just read a piece in which he basically is, you know, touting that and, and talking about how, um, you know, th- th- this is the moment to seize on to single-payer Medicare for All in the Senate, uh, where uh, Senator Sanders uh, is uh, set to re- to introduce, uh, rather, uh, legislation. Uh, he, I think he, he basically he has said that he wants to wait until the this Trump care legislation is resolved one way or the other. So whether, whether you know, it fails or, or moves forward, and then he'll introduce it. Uh, and that now, uh, at least the, the two senators who have come out for the, the principle of Medicare uh, for All are Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, you know who is, which is interesting given uh, she's a prospective 2020 presidential. Both of, both of, them, both are. of them are. All uh, well, I should say, all three of them. All three are. of them, are, right, <laughs> right? I suppose. And and uh, and and then <laughs> even you know it's interesting. I mean, there's a couple of others. Uh, Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, who also uh, looking to 2020, who are uh, sort of seem to be moving in that direction. I was uh, on Twitter yesterday. Cory Booker is retweeting a New York Times piece that says talks about how single payer saves money. You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, the, the sort of they're not quite there yet, but but this is a, a growing uh, stance that these Democrats are taking to to say you know we should not just defend the Affordable Care Act but go further. Well, first of all, it's very smart, I believe, to call it Medicare for all, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as opposed to single payer. Um, if um, and, and this this goes back, uh, you may know, I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago called Buyer's Remorse, a whole chapter about this that I think one of the big mistakes that Barack Obama made too when it came to Obamacare. But first of all, is in all the discussions about how to how to deliver universal health care to the American people, he took single-payer off the table right. as an option. He negotiated with himself. He sort of said, you know, yeah. from the at- outset, I know he assumed uh, you couldn't get it, and so he, and so he took uh, it off At the one table. time, uh, as a Senate candidate in, uh, state Senate candidate in Illinois, he uh, yeah. supported oh, yeah. it. He was way out. From yeah. it, but, but by the time he got to the national level, he was opposed to it. So for, when, and the point, my point was that when you start by taking that off the table, then whatever you get is going to be significantly less than you might have gotten if you start with the be- very, very best system. So that was one mistake. The other was, for a while, as we remember, he had a public plan option as part of Obamacare, right? which was, by the way, again, why call it the public plan option? It should have been called Medicare for all as an option. And that would have, that would have been, uh, and he went around the country, but sold that, sold it to me, Right, and then dropped it like a hot potato. Mm-hmm. So now it is starting to come back. And if you call it Medicare for all, I think people, well, that gets to the question of how do you sell this to the American people? Well, first of all, on Medicare for all, I talked to Tim Ryan from Ohio. Uh, you know, Our and good friend. I was going to yep. say friend of the show, um, and he made this point to me rather explicitly. I, th- I I don't have my quote in front of me, but he basically said the problem with single payer is no one knows what the hell you're talking about. And when you talk about that phrase, and so he said, listen, if you if you go to uh, 
sort of working class, uh, you know, steel workers, uh, coal miners in, uh, you know, working class folks in the uh, run up to the 2018 elections. And you say, look, would you like to buy into uh, Medicare at 55 or at 50 with a means test? And and so, you know, again, another interesting uh, dynamic of this that uh, might make it more um, kind of pragmatic and feasible is that uh, even uh, Senator Sanders now is sort of talking in the language of, well, this is sort of a path to single payer. You know, obviously this is not going to yeah, happen overnight. Right, right. So, so <laughs> you know, Tim Ryan was saying we should just at least be sort of moving in that direction and talking about, again, expanding Medicare and, and, and sort of um, heading heading in that direction. But as you mentioned, I um, I, I reached out to to a bunch of uh, you know sort of longtime advocates for for single payer, and it sort of talked about how you would message it. That the the Medicare point is is one of the key um, you know uh, arguments that they all made to me, which is that it's the, the popularity of the program. Um, you know, re- uh, Republicans. Uh, if you look at uh, recent polling, I think there was a Pew poll that said um, you know even like fifty seven percent of Republicans believed that um, Medicare and Medicaid should be like continued for, uh, uh, and you know they support that. So using that program as a kind of um, you know uh, you know uh, you know as, as the model and as and as yeah. and, and, and f- emphasizing that uh, you know <laughs> is is the, is a key um, a key framing. Also talking about you know I I, I the I'm. Um, reported on how the Republican attacks, which, by the way, have already begun on this, the White House and other Republicans are, are well, th- they think it's politically advantageous to sort of saddle Democrats with this idea of a, you know, massive government uh, health care, which, again, it's like deja vu all over again, right? Yeah. Uh, but um, but lo- looking at the fact that um, a lot of analysis uh, shows that in the, the, the net effect of, you know, when you take private insurers out of it, that you'll ultimately save money. And, you know, and, and that people, um, you know, might pay more in taxes, uh, but they will pay less for, for these other expenses. Um, but but I think the, the main focus just is on the sort of simplicity uh, and and on the resemblance to Medicare, which is such a popular p- program. Right. But, uh, you know, if you the phrase single payer, which doesn't scare me, but, right. you know, it uh, for a lot of people, it means Canada. Right. It means the UK, uh, whatever. Right. right. And and then. Uh, it means for the opposition, um, socialized medicine. You know, we're, you know, you'll hear that again. Oh yeah. I think if you focus on Medicare, which is a program, not only a program that works, millions of Americans are enrolled in it. Right. And almost everybody has, if they're not themselves there, some family member. Right. right. And so they know it works. They know how important it is. They know how people depend on it. And the idea of just expanding it gradually. You fifty-five to fifty or whatever, and then you can buy in. Um, it's the way to go. I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that but, the, the the sort of European, uh, you know, fear mongering. Uh, you know, I remember Mitt Romney talking about Barack Obama takes his inspiration from the capitals of Europe, and you yeah, know, I believe in yeah. America. Um, but uh, you know, people also, I think, a lot of people don't know that in in the Canadian system, you know, obviously private hospitals and private providers still. You know, provide the care, so it's, it's the government is, is is funding it, but it. I mean, you know, it, it's it's always. It's just more, so easy to say. I know. No, and, I agree. And, and I because I've heard it and fought it for for a long time. And if you actually look at the Canadian system, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, all the po- yeah, a lot of the polling suggests that you know people aren't exactly running away from these systems other places. But I think you're right. Is that for Democrats, it's not going to be we're going to overnight replace what we've got with 
um, single payer, right? Yeah, I think just as a practical matter. Um, yeah, it's going to have to phase in, but moving in that moving in that direction. Um, uh, and I, I don't know what the vehicle will be. Will it be the Sanders legislation, do you think? Uh, well, first of all, it depends. The first thing that has to happen is the collapse of repeal, correct? The repeal effort. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems it, it seems like that is that's likely that that this is something that I mean, or or the or the passage of it. I mean, God forbid, oh, right, right. right. Um, but uh, and and then this will sort of be a debate that that uh, that is taken up immediately in the aftermath of that. Um, but no, I mean, and 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 to be you know to to sort of acknowledge the uh, I don't know about the criticisms of it, but I mean, it's obviously a complicated. It's, it would be a complicated process. And there was uh, I cite uh, a Matt Iglesias piece uh, from Vox where he's sort of talking about the various you know ways you can fund it. If it, you know, there's a payroll tax option, there's a, a VAT tax you know option. There's obviously Going to taxing the wealthy is going to be a large part of it, but there are a, a sort of a bunch of trade-offs and 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 you know different routes that you can take to get there. And so it, it's not that it, it's not a legitimate point that this is all going to have to be hashed out. But as a sort of um, you know a policy objective, as a you know part of I think what people liked about the Sanders campaign is he was offering these sort of big bold marquee ideas, right? And so the, yeah, sort of uh, to uh, to chart the future for the progressive movement. And so you know I, I, it seems like that there's more and more people are agreeing with that. <clears throat> I hate to interrupt the conversation, but the president has tweeted. You know, Peter, it's no. Uh, no. I know. It's an important I, 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 thing to point out. You guys are rolling. Wait. It's it's a very important tweet. Are he you just, saying he the just president tweeted, of the United States would be tweeting? He just tweeted, this is a Bill Press Show breaking news update. Yeah, Uh-oh. folks, here it is. Working hard to get the Olympics for the United States, parentheses, L.A. <laughs> Stay tuned. Wow. Today was the presentation for the two cities that are vying for the 2024 Olympics. So now, this was top of mind, apparently, for our president. I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama I made know. the pitch for <laughs> Chicago to have the Summer Olympics, and I think it was 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh, look. Look at what I just found here when I threw a Google on that. Uh, here comes up a headline that just says, Trump dumps on Obama for Chicago Olympic bid trip. Now, isn't that curious? Uh, Donald Trump on Wednesday used Chicago's failure to secure the 2016 Summer Olympics to critique President Barack Obama's foreign policy, saying it's created a lack of international respect for the United States. So if we do not get the Olympics in Los Angeles, using Uh the now president's same logic, (laughs) we could say the same thing about him. Well, I mean, I remember at that time, I mean, it seemed like uh, there were a lot of voices on the right that were yes! like, actively rooting against Barack Obama getting the Olympics for Chicago. Look, Do like, I remember that yeah. correctly? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, no, no. That, that we talked about that at, mm-hmm. at length because, I mean, the, the takeaway there was like, this isn't about Chicago. It's about America, right? Yeah. Like it would... Whether or not, I mean, look, the Olympics coming into a host city. It also, why a- shouldn't it be about Chicago? It's like a great American city. Like, sure. You know. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> But, like, they turned Chicago into, you oh, know, well. some horrible place because well, he's course. from there. Well, I'm happy to know Donald Trump's in charge. because He's now, on it, man. Yeah, he's on it. Right. He has, a, LA. he has a really good sort of track record on, you know, both, you know, kind of, uh, you know, international uh, diplomacy. Yeah, totally. Of, you know, just accomplishing <laughs> projects. It's just, so, you know, uh, he's he wants you to build the He wants to build the Olympic facilities. That's right. That's what's going on. <laughs> That's what, yeah. Well, this is a good segue uh, in terms of Donald Trump on Twitter 
to journalists on Twitter, oh, okay. which you have been writing about also. <laughs> um, meaning, is this... Uh, at one time, we thought Twitter was going away, and then Donald Trump arrives, right? So it's interesting. <laughs> and, and no, I mean, I, this is—I'll I'll be honest—one of the uh, more uh, sort of light and uh, and really amusing stories that I've ha- had the opportunity to report lately. Where it's I good I, to I, do that once yeah. in a while. Totally. Yeah, you know, you need, yeah. A, you need a break from the, you know, the yeah, right. end of the world. Um, but uh, no, I mean, so so uh, I, there's been sort of ongoing business. Travails with tr- with Twitter, um, you know. The, obviously, the the company has um, faced uh, this ongoing issue with harassment on the platform, and and actually, I mean, there was a piece in Wired at the beginning of this year, essentially saying, um, you know, 2017 is the year that Twitter um, learns to thrive or 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 will die, and and you know, will fall by the wayside. You know, sort of, this is a crucial year for for Twitter, um, and so I thought, just as a kind of thought experiment. Um, wouldn't it be interesting to sort of ask, uh, you know, what, what would uh, what would journalists uh, who are constantly glued to their phones and 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 on Twitter, both you know, to to get news, but also to find sources and to do reporting? I mean, it really has become an integral part of the job. Um, what would journalism now be without Twitter? And and it was, you know, I had several people who, uh, of course, had some really hilarious things to say, talking about you know the, how they would spend more time out, outside. They would you know have to reestablish content with human beings they would you know uh, laugh God forbid at, right? God forbid you know but uh, but uh, but also you know making the serious point that uh, that it would it would um, I talked to the the global social media editor um, over the Huffington Post a guy named Ethan Clapper who I went to school with and he was talking about how it, for news gathering for them it would really be incredibly detrimental in the short term and you know they without Twitter yeah he said basically said particularly in, he said in like a breaking news situation um, you know which in which they can uh, hunt down sources and and sort of keep a, 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 a immediate sen- a sense of what's going on. Um, you know, it, so I thought it was pretty interesting just to just to sort of explore um, how how tied we now are to the to the platform. So we become so dependent on Twitter as a. As a as as a media uh, as a media, I mean, I think, and 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 again, it it makes sense because it it does provide this kind of live, um, you know, uh, breaking news delivery uh, of information. I mean, it, it, Facebook doesn't provide yeah. the same kind of real time um, updates in in the same way that Twitter does. And not to get too nerdy about it, but like the algorithm stuff hasn't right. been screwed with too much. You know, with Facebook, you'll see posts from two days ago that show up at the top of your feed. And Twitter is still like a live running thing. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting for all the, and certainly journalists are self-deprecating and joke about, you know, their addiction to, to it and how even outside of work, they're, you know, constantly uh, checking their, excuse me, checking their feeds. But it was, I thought it was pretty telling that basically everyone I talked to said, yeah, I would, I would really miss it if it, if it was gone. And, you know, we'd have to, you know, a lot of them said uh, that there would had faith in the the free market or in some nonprofit uh, or philanthropist who would come up with you know there would be some new platform that would emerge that would that would take its place. A couple of people joked, I thought this is pretty good, that if Donald Trump was going to nationalize anything, uh, you know, it might oh. be nationalizing, you know, a company that has so served his own ego and, and, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, well, mean, by the way, Ca- Captain Facepalm on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter found us, we were tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show, said, what would journalism be without Twitter? Better. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, it's tricky. In some ways it would be. Sure. Uh, but, I agree. Uh, but, but, but just just a little um, anecdote from, so last night we had a meeting of the White House Correspondents Association. 
uh, Jeff Mason is the president of it. <clears throat> early on, had early in the meeting, it went about an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, had mentioned in 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 response to a question about how we're we dealing with this hostility, almost on the part of the Trump administration, that he said, you know, they they sometimes think um, there is this tension. And he mentioned at one time the, the press secretary or somebody in the press office called him and asked him to put out a statement on behalf of the White House Correspondents Association saying a reporter had crossed the line in mm-hmm. asking – criticizing a reporter. And Jeff said, no, that's not our job. Right. You know, we're not going to – that's not our job. We're not going to do that. He just said that in this meeting. It was an on-the-record meeting, but there were no cameras there or anything. By the end of the meeting, that thing – that comment of his had gone – viral people were tweeting about all over the country and it's like on politico and several news sites this morning and it but it was like while we were sitting there having this discussion it happened because of twitter wouldn't have happened otherwise and that's the value of it there it is exactly hey graham great to see you thanks for all your good work on everything this is the press show Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump Jr. in more hot water than we thought. Yes, indeed, of the latest from the New York Times. Before that big meeting with the Russian lawyer at Trump Tower in June 2016, he got an email identifying this woman as part of the plot, part of the Russian government plot to throw the 2016 election for his daddy. Yes, so when Donald Trump said... The election was rigged. He really did know what he was talking about. Hey, hello, everybody. Great to see you today on this Tuesday, July 11. It is the Bill Press Show. And as always, we're coming to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Yes, it is summer in Washington, D.C. You know what that means. Don't mean to complain too much, but it's hot as hell and it is even more humid. Um but we've, we are on top of all the big stories of the day for you. Yes, that uh, more details about this meeting. Uh, first denied, then the subject of it denied, and the implications of it certainly denied uh, by the White House. It turns out all to be true. This meeting with Donald Trump and a Russian lawyer uh, very close to the Kremlin. The prospects for repealing Obamacare uh, getting um, more and more grim, thank God, every day in the Senate. Uh, Republicans may end up having to sit down and work with Democrats to fix Obamacare, not to destroy it. And Chris Christie with a big audition yesterday on sports radio at WFAN in New York, and he bombed. We'll tell you all about it and take your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first... (laughs) 
This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know what today is, Bill? Uh, let me see. It's uh, July 11th. Yeah, whose birthday? 7, 7-11, 7-11, 11 day, which right. means if yes. you want to go to a 7-11 yeah. today, you can get a small... Yeah, two of them, like, within a block. Well, you can just two. go right... Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you can, can go to both and get go to free one at each. Yeah. And get a free, free Slurpee. A free Slurpee. Really? That's right. All a day small long? Slurpee. All you got to do is just walk in between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m., wherever, whatever time zone you're in. Walk in, and uh, you could get yourself a free small Slurpee. They are also debuting a new concoction, the Cotton Candy Slurpee. No. Which is a hard no for me. Uh, but if you're into cotton candy, maybe you'll like it. It's not for me, but you can go get a free one today between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. You have to wait till 11? That's right. Well, would you really want a Slurpee before 11 a.m.? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I know it's a free drink, but... Or, a free dessert or whatever you want to call it, but like still. You know, I have to give it up to 7-Eleven. I saw someone walking out of 7-Eleven this morning at 6 a.m. with a slice of pizza. You know, it's it's a questionable life choice, but I got to say, 7-Eleven, serving pizza at any time of the hour, respect. <laughs> you know, people, some people want pizza at 6 a.m. You could probably get a hot dog, too. At, I oh, know yeah. You and you can get nachos and can. nacho cheese at 6 a.m., yeah. yeah, 7-Eleven. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you have messed up if that's what you're doing, but if you need to do that, it could save your that's life. That's the place to go. Yeah. I love this story because it just shows how petty Donald Trump is. The Washington Post reporting that the federal government is canceling the search for new FBI headquarters. The FBI headquarters, mm -hmm. by the way, is in shambles. It is an old, old, old building and needs to be either moved or fixed or repaired. They have been trying to find a new place to put this and build a new, put a new building together for quite some time now. And yesterday, according to... Officials familiar with the decision, the White House has said, no more. They are not going to be doing this. They're not going to spend any money on an FBI building. Seems like he might be holding a grudge against the <laughs> FBI. You may find me guilty of collusion, but you're going to have to do it in that old rat trap of a building you've got. You're not going to do it in a new building. No, sir. I'll, yeah. get, I'll, I'll fix you. If they're going to get them, they're going to have to do it with one of their hands tied behind their I'll back. I'll get even with you. By yeah. the way, story yesterday, you see a little bit, Bannon apparently said that uh, he shouldn't fire Comey. Yeah. I think that was planted. That'd be good make point. Bannon look good. That better. was leaked by Bannon yeah, to I make agree. himself look good. I agree. Yeah. On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say, folks? Great to see you uh, on a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 11. Hello, hello, hello from uh, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Just uh, go to the United States Capitol, take a right hand turn, uh, walk up Capitol Hill, and there we are, a few couple blocks from the United States Capitol building in our studio on Capitol Hill. Yep where we're here to bring you the news of the day from here in Washington, around the country, around the globe. Uh, and it uh, boils down to um, maybe three big stories today here uh, in, the, in Washington. It is more and more apparent that the, Mitch McConnell's not going to be able to round up 51 votes to repeal Obamacare, not even get to 50 where Mike Pence could break the tie, uh, but that effort uh, not, is going nowhere. 
they keep putting off the vote. Some people are saying we'll stay around all August to fix it. Uh, if, if we need to, uh, that's not going to work either. Uh, the, the worst, the worst, worst thing could happen, according to Mitch McConnell, is they might actually have to accept the fact that they're not going to win on their own and, yes, reach out to work with Democrats to come up with um, maybe some repairs to Obamacare and not outright repeal where they should have started in the first place. Uh, first big story. The second big story, uh, Chris Christie <laughs> auditioning yesterday and today on WFAN in New York. We'll play the audio. It was not a great auspicious uh, beginning. And the biggest story of the three, Donald Trump Jr. in even more hot water than we believed yesterday when we first talked about it. Again, good to have you with us. Uh, looking at you on Free Speech TV. We're uh, coming to you, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, all part of the Young Turks Network, as always. And out in the Chicago area, here we are on WCPT together. Yes, so with Donald Trump, it has been Donald Trump Jr. and Donald Trump and the whole Trump operation. It has been one denial after another. They can't get rid of this Russian story and it's not our fault. It's not the media's fault. It's the fact that more and more details come out about the lies that they have told about their Russian connection. Remember, it started with no Russian connection at all, no meetings at all. Kellyanne Conway, let out of her box yesterday at the White House, goes on to when all on all the morning shows. Uh, but she goes, uh, except for Morning Joe, by the way, where yeah, she's not oh, allowed. Yeah, no, they're, they're not going on. Uh, so with, let's start here with George Stephanopoulos. First of all, she says, well, Donald, about, about this meeting, Donald Trump didn't ask for this meeting. He was invited to this meeting. And then George Stephanopoulos says, but wait a minute, there was a meeting. And you are part of the people, one of those who went out there and simply denied that there were any meetings at all. Here's that exchange. Back in December, you also denied any contacts between the campaign and Russians. I want to show our audience. Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. I hear people saying it like it's a fact on television. That is just not only inaccurate and false, but it's dangerous. Does the president -elect... And, and it does undermine our democracy. <laughs> it did turn out to be a fact. So who misled you? And why did Don Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort allow those public denials to stand for so many months? So as I understand it, George, uh, some of the disclosure forms have been amended since that time and to reflect other meetings, including this one. In other words, basically she's saying, yeah, we lied, but then we've changed the forms afterwards uh, once we got caught uh, in our lies. And, and the idea that for us to question that is dangerous and undermines our democracy. Whoa, wait a minute. Talk about somebody undermining the democracy. If anybody was trying to undermine the democracy, it was the Russian government, it was the Kremlin, and they were getting assistance, now we know, from Donald Trump and Donald Trump's campaign team. So, again, let's back up. They did deny that there was any contact whatsoever. And since that denial, uh, we're building up to this latest Donald Trump meeting, but since that denial, we learned all about the meetings between Paul Manafort and the Russians. He was even taking money from some of them. We learned about all the meetings between uh, Michael Flynn 
who became the National Security Advisor for a brief 24 days. And we learned about all of his connections, phone conversations, and meetings with the Russian investor. Again, this, this after they denied there were any meetings whatsoever. And then we learned about the meetings with Jeff Sessions, two of them, maybe three of them, and representatives of the Russian government, all part of the Trump team. And then we learned about the meetings with Carter Page, who was actually sent to Moscow uh, for some business deals or some meetings over there. Uh, he was uh, an associate of Paul Manafort's part of the campaign. And then we learned about the meetings with Jared Kushner, who keeps showing up at almost every meeting, yeah. Donald Trump's son-in-law. So those are five that we know of, <laughs> people who had meetings with the Russians after the Trump, Donald Trump and, all, and his people denied that there had been any meetings whatsoever. Now, let's flash forward what we find out about uh, this meeting on June 9, 2016, with Donald Trump Jr. The first thing we learned is, again, that he did meet with, this is a meeting we hadn't known about before, he met with an attorney. At first, Donald Trump Jr. denied it, then he admitted he met with this attorney, a Russian woman, and at Trump Tower on June 9th. Jared Kushner was there, too, by the way. Uh, and then Donald Trump says, yeah, I did meet with her, but all we talked about was uh, adoption because a lot of Americans want to go over and adopt Russian children, and Russian member Vladimir Putin had suspended the program for a while. So that's what we talked about. Uh, then it came out that, um, no, actually, uh, this woman reportedly had some dirt on Hillary Clinton, what they call opposition research, or in the trade, oppo, on Hillary Clinton. And um, so he gets a call. From this is this is such a tortured thing. He gets a call from a publicist for a rock star, Russian rock star, who appeared in the Miss Universe contest with Donald Trump years before. And this publicist says this woman wants to meet with you because she's got some dirt on Hillary Clinton. Uh, and Donald Trump Jr. says fine. So again, then they have to admit that they lied when they said it was all about adoption. That was bad enough. Here's what the latest we learned from the New York Times yesterday is that Donald Trump Jr. also got an email prior to this meeting that this woman not only had this information on Hillary, allegedly, but that she was part of an effort by the Kremlin to throw the election, to interfere with this election, and to throw it for Donald Trump. So he knew this was part of an effort to, to hack into, to undermine our election and our democracy, and he went to this meeting uh, at Trump Tower. This is huge. This is serious. And I, I, I think this is as close to evidence of outright collusion as we've seen. Yeah. And if this is not collusion, what is? Why aren't <clears throat> Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell or— Good question. Any of these guys yeah. just freaking out over this. Why aren't they saying freaking this is, out? This is it. This is it. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it, it is kind of telling, I think, that, I mean, not that we get a lot of our news from the Drudge Report, but uh, Drudge has, uh, or it's changed, but earlier it was uh, just a photo of the Kremlin and it said the email. 
And the thing that's so kind of telling about that, I think, is once you start losing the drudges or the Fox Newses or these sort of uh, mainstream conservative outlets, that is the Trump base. For as much talk as you do, you got like the One American yeah. News Network, you got the Breitbart's, but they're sort of fringy. But the mainstream conservative outlets, when they start turning against Donald Trump, the base will absolutely turn against them. And even Fox and Friends this morning, they at least talked about the emails, right? Tucker right. last night didn't even talk about it. He didn't even discuss it. He was talking about whether or not vaccines, uh, keeping your kids unvaccinated is really as unsafe as liberals make it out to be, which is... Well, Peter, we need the truth on Ignorant that. and dangerous. Yeah, right. But... Like, once the conservative media actually treats this story as a real story, it could be a real problem for the for the for the Trump people. Absolutely, no. If they because turn, then, then if they then, turn, then yeah. the conservative politicians will turn on them, and then it's just like. Meanwhile, the White House continues in its uh, denial. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday in an off another off camera briefing. Um, insisting no collusion on the part of anybody here. The president's campaign did not collude in any way. And neither did Donnie Jr. I would certainly say Don Jr. did not collude with anybody to influence the election. <laughs> yeah, right. But this news certainly awakened the attention of um, Democrats on the two intelligence committees. Uh, I thought Mark Morner made a very important point. Certainly, certainly, he did say they want to bring Donald Trump Jr. in to testify. They absolutely want to hear from him. Uh, but in terms of the question about who knew about this, Mark Warner points out, if your son is key in your campaign and your son meets with a representative of, the, of a foreign government, who's trying to influence the campaign, the direction and the outcome of the campaign, you are damn straight that you would want to know about it. Mark Warner here talking to Manaraju from CNN. If I was a campaign manager and had been contacted by what may be an agent of a foreign power and was told that that agent might have damaging information about a potential candidate, I think I'd remember that meeting. And I think it's also a little strange as a candidate if if my son or son-in-law met with an official uh, or an agent of a foreign power, I think I'd probably want to hear about that information. Damn right you'd want to hear about that information. Uh, and and we, we've seen how close the, the sons are and the daughter to Donald Trump in terms of running the business and in terms of running the government. Uh, and I, I'm sure that was true during the campaign, that they, that they shared everything. So, I mean, I think there's no doubt. Donald Trump knew this. what this meeting was. Donald Trump Jr. knew what the meeting was about. I believe his father knew about the meeting ahead of time. And Donald Trump Jr., the first thing he did after the meeting was report to his father what this woman told him about Hillary Clinton. So here, here's a, a couple little nuggets that we learned uh, from this morning. The, the woman um, who sort of facilitated this meeting, Natalia, she was on NBC this morning. And she said, quote, they wanted it so badly about the efforts by Don Jr., Jared, and Paul Manafort to get the dirt on Hillary Clinton. She goes on to say that the Trump campaign approached her about getting dirt on Hillary, not the other way around, which I know is sort of a, 
a, a small point, but it does certainly change the dynamic here. Well, well, it totally contradicts something that Kellyanne Conway again told Chris Cuomo yesterday, which is hardly any defense, anyhow, as to who set up the meeting. Here is Kellyanne yesterday morning. Even if it is all I, true, look, I just, I'm, whether I admire, or not it was good information, your... Kellyanne, doesn't mean that oh, no, it was a smart the... move to take a meeting. No, the, uh, that's where she's, she's attacking him on CNN. This is from Good Morning America. Good morning. I'm sorry. Good morning, America. He did not seek the meeting. If you look at his statement, yeah. he said that he, the meeting was requested of him and he agreed to the meeting. Well, yeah. well, well. Yeah, well, 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 well. Right. Isn't that curious? <laughs> yeah. Totally contradicts what this woman apparently said this morning. Right. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, back to um, to uh, the, the nature of this meeting. I think it's very important to understand that this is not... Okay, Donald Trump Jr. said, well, I'm not the first person who ever met with anybody who had information on, on, uh, from a campaign or information on your opponent. No, no, that's, that's, that's pretty slick, Donald Trump Jr., but that's not the case at all. The fact is, this is something far and above what would normally happen in a campaign. And yesterday there were Republican campaign strategists as well as Democratic campaign strategists who came out and said, no, if a representative of a foreign government calls you up and says, I got some dirt on your opponent in a presidential campaign. No. Everybody does opposition research on their opponent, right? But when you have the intervention of a foreign government to try to influence the outcome of an election, this takes things to a whole new dimension, which is not normal, not right, and probably illegal. Of course, that's what Donald did. That's what Robert Mueller and the House and Senate Intelligence Committees have to decide. Uh, for example, John Weaver, who ran uh, John Kasich's presidential campaign and before that ran John McCain's presidential campaign in 2000, which is when I got to know him, John, John Weaver, yesterday saying, Republican campaign operative, quote, I've been involved in nine presidential campaigns, never happened, never would happen for all kinds of reasons. Rick Tyler, who ran Ted Cruz's campaign last year in the primary, said, if anybody from Russia... Any foreign government called me and said, I got some dirt on your opponent and we're trying to help throw this election. First thing he would have done is call the FBI, which is exactly what the Gore campaign did in 2000 when somebody handed them or at least told them they had the briefing book that George W. Bush's campaign had prepared for him for the first debate and they, pardon me, wanted to give it or sell it, I don't know, give it, I think, to the Gore campaign so that they would know all the stuff that George Bush might raise. The first thing the Gore campaign did, they didn't take the briefing book. They didn't go through it. They didn't Xerox it. They called the FBI yeah. and said, this is, this is dirty politics. This is criminal. Now, here, the Trump campaign gets this, and what's the first thing they do? They set up a meeting at the Trump Hotel. Whether or not the information they got was true, whether or not they used it, they still were aiding and abetting a far, willing to aid and abet a foreign power in overthrowing an American election. Just just imagine, right? Like The facts. Where does this end? Right? No. Imagine if this was, like, the tables were turned and it was another, like, let's say if their argument is 
well, you know, we have to listen. That was sort of one of the things that Donald Jr. said yesterday. Yeah. yeah. He says, I'm the first person on the campaign to ever take a meeting to hear info about an opponent. opponent? It went nowhere, but I had to listen. So, like, well, the, let's say first, South Korea. The, these Republican presidential operatives are saying, no, you didn't. Right, 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 right. But let's say, like, you know, uh, North Korea or, you know, Iran yeah. or anybody said, hey, your opponent, I have some information about them that you might want that we got because somebody hacked into their emails. Do you really feel like you have an obligation to go and get that? You really feel like, you know, you, quote, uh, had to go listen, have to go listen? Where does that end? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you where it ends. It ends <laughs> in the Senate Intelligence Committee, in the House Intelligence Committee, and uh, in the special investigation conducted by Robert Mueller. Uh, Adam Schiff, <coughs> pardon me, who's the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, of course, has been so good on this issue, uh, was with uh, Rachel Maddow last night uh, and talking about the fact that the timing of this is very, very interesting. Okay, let's go back to when this is. So this is June 2016. Um, the primaries, for all practical purposes, are over. Donald Trump has sewn up the nomination. So we know he's the nominee-elect, if you will, before the convention. So the Russians have all this information. They haven't released it yet. We haven't seen this is before they released the emails that they'd hacked at the DNC and before they released any emails hacked of uh, John Podesta, Hillary's campaign chairman. So the first person they approach is Donald Trump Jr. with this information. So Rachel gets into this timing of it with Adam Schiff last night. So this is after the hacking, but before the release of the information. Here they are. You're saying that the Russians had done the hacking already, but at the point of this meeting, they were holding the intelligence. They're holding the stuff that they had stolen. Yes. But then after this meeting happened in Trump Tower, they then re started releasing it publicly. If this is in June of 2016, that's exactly right. Uh-huh. Okay. So they do all this. They got this information. Now they're thinking, hmm, what do we do with this? Well, here's an idea. Let's take it right to Trump Tower. Right to Trump Tower. So this whole operation, again, to undermine the election, to throw it to Donald Trump, started with whom? Donald Trump Jr. That's what it looks like. Again, Adam Schiff, Rachel Maddow, last night. If this is correct, the first person who may have found out that the Russians had decided not just to gather information about what the candidates' positions might be or what they might do in office, but they had made a decision to intervene to try to help a candidate. The first person who may have learned that was the president's son uh, through this email. The first person to learn it, the president's son. You tell me that Donald Trump Jr. did not tell his father about this? No, I don't believe that for a second. Well, no, no uh, way. But even if it wasn't daddy, we know the son. And again, not up to us to... Um, to, 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 to arrest him on the charges of collusion. But if that's not collusion, I don't know what is. By the way, worth playing this again. We we played this yesterday back from July 24, oh, 2016. Yeah. Donald Trump Jr. appearing Good. on CNN talking about uh, the idea of the Russians helping uh, Trump's yeah, campaign. The, the idea? Oh, no, that would never happen. 
I mean, I can't think of bigger lies, but that exactly goes to show you what the DNC and mm -hmm. what the Clinton camp mm -hmm. will do. They will lie and do anything to win. Yeah. You know what's so funny? And now it's all true. It, it, what's so funny to me is uh, uh, the Trumps are all kind of morons. <laughs> Like everybody, well, they think we're morons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like everybody has kind of kept making this analogy that that uh, you know Donald Trump Jr. is the is the Fredo of the Corleone family, right? Yeah, like kind of the yeah. dummy. They're all Fredo. They're all stupid, and they're all step on their own. You know what? Trying That's to true. see, yeah. they all step on it. Like just because they're just so dumb. Yeah. Yes. Like this is just dumb. If he knows that this happened. Because so, he knows that this happened. Yeah. Why lie on, about it over and over and over again? Again, because they think we're dumb enough to accept their lie. Uh, one thing you've got to say in the middle of all of this is, how do we know all of this stuff? Not because the White House has released any of it. Not because the FBI has released any of it. It's because of the damn good investigative reporting that we've seen, particularly by the Washington Post and the New York Times, especially the New York Times. And... Um, they haven't been wrong yet. Not wrong. They are very, very careful. They have not been wrong yet. Now, uh, what I find one of the most delicious aspects of this is, of course, it all gets back to Donald Trump's business dealings. There's always <coughs> there's always a sleazy business deal involved somehow with Donald Trump. So this meeting happens because uh, it's set up and suggested by a publicist for a rock star called Eamon, I can't even pronounce his last name, Who cares? in Russia, right, who appeared, where else, at the Miss Universe contest that Donald Trump sponsored in Moscow years ago. This, and the, <laughs> so this publicist is a friend of this woman whose family we're working with Donald Trump to make a business deal to build the Trump Tower in Moscow. So as part of that whole, he's working with his family to try to get the deal to build the Trump Tower. God knows why that fell through. If we ever get his tax records and his financial reports, we may find out. Wouldn't hold your breath. In the meantime, he moves a Miss Universe contest there, and he brings in this rock star, and then he agrees, he, Donald Trump, agrees to be part of the program and doing a little takeoff on The Apprentice with this rock star, Eamon. Eamon, wake up. Come on. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Eamon? Eamon, let's get with it. You're always late. You're just another pretty face. I'm really tired of you. You're fired. God. There he is, the President of the United States. Yes. And so from the Moscow Miss Universe contest in Moscow, to the family building the Trump Tower, to the publicist for the rock star, to setting up the meeting with the attorney with Donald Trump Jr., to hacking, Russian hacking, and her being an agent of the Russian government to try to undermine the election and throw it to Donald Trump. I mean, this is such a bizarre connection of events. But it's so Trumpian too when you think about it. You know, here's something to Isn't it? consider. I think, yeah, it is. Trump has tweeted a couple times already earlier today. He's tweeted about the Senate Democrats confirming some of the presidential nominees. He tweeted about the Olympics. He tweeted about the Marine plane crash in Mississippi. 
And then his most recent tweet, it just says, big wins against ISIS. Mm-hmm. That's it. Four words. Uh, what has he th- tweeted out about Donald Trump Jr.? Not one word. Yeah. The silence there is deafening. By the way, yesterday he tweeted out about Ivanka at the meetings. Yeah. Same thing. Yesterday, not one word about Donald Trump Jr. That's, I mean, I, I think that says something. Is he ready to throw him under the bus? Maybe. <laughs> By the way, he would do it. Oh, He yeah. would absolutely do it. Some rising stars in the Democratic Party field, including one Jason Kander. Uh, what's up with that and where are we going with the Democratic Party? Ben Terrace has a big piece out about uh, Jason Kander in the Washington Post this morning. And he joins us here in studio next on The Bill Press Show. They had made a decision to intervene to try to help a candidate. The first person who may have learned that was the president's son uh, through this email. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go now on this Tuesday, July 11. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show, part of the Young Turks Network, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Yep, those great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President uh, Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work, and you can find out more about all the many activities they're involved in at uh, teamster.org. Hey, Thank them for their good work. Yes. I have to interrupt just because we were Uh-oh. reading Donald Trump's tweets <laughs> yes. earlier. Donald Trump Jr. just tweeted. This is a Here Bill Press Show breaking news update. We got the big guns for today. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. says, media and Dems are extremely invested in the Russia story. If this nonsense meeting is all they have after a year, I understand the desperation. That is his take on it. Okay, so it's all invention of uh, the CNN and uh, of, of the media, media and, uh, and Dems. Yes, they are ex- extremely invested. Wow, exactly. It's a pretty good defense, though, for following the Trump playbook. I mean, he's right in line with his dad. So mm-hmm. I'll give you that. It definitely sounds like his dad. But sadly for him, so also invested is Robert Mueller. <laughs> uh, the FBI, the Senate Intelligence Committee, and the House Intelligence Committee. Extremely invested. Ben Terrace joining us from the Great Washington Post. Uh, ben, it's nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's your take? Uh, this is not your beat, I know, but what's your take on uh, what we've learned from uh, a lot of good investigative reporting here in the last 24, 48 hours that uh, after they denied there were any meetings with the Russians, there were a whole mess of meetings with Russians, with a whole mess of people in the Trump administration, uh, Trump campaign team. Uh, and certainly this one meeting that we've been talking about happening at Trump Tower in June 2016 with, we now know, a Russian operative who was close to the Kremlin. And uh, the latest is, uh, Trump Jr. before meeting with her was told that she was part of the Russian government's effort to throw the campaign or the election for her father. And they hold this meeting. So can you get away with just saying, oh, the Democrats are obsessed with this? Well, I mean, I think he's right that the media is invested in it, is heavily invested in it. And I think what we've learned is it's a good thing, right? I mean, 
press is alive and well right now. Uh, you know, the failing New York Times and the failing Washington Post and fake news CNN. I mean, you can call it what he wants, but it's, you know, there's some really good, hard investigative reporting that's coming out. And I think it's actually, it's kind of, it's a good sign. I mean, what's, what's being reported is not great, obviously, but the fact that the press is able to get this stuff out there, I think, is really impressive, honestly. I, mean, I also love, I think it's the best investigative reporting since Watergate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just in awe of my colleagues just seeing it happen unfold in real time. It's just incredible. I mean, it's been totally reinvented. I mean, this is totally uncharted territory. I mean, you look at what uh, Farenhold is doing at the failing Washington uh, Post. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got just the, like, he got the Pulitzer Prize for it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, but, but it's just like, that's a whole new way to report on this stuff, and I think that's just kind of the way we're going right now. Yeah, absolutely. Industry. And, you know, look, I forget now exactly what it was, but the, the CNN got one thing wrong when they fired three people because of it. But aside from that, just about everything that's been reported has been yeah, and turned out get, to be true. People get things wrong. Woodward and Bernstein got things wrong, yeah. and Watergate yeah. still was Watergate. We yeah, still know right. it as Watergate, and we know the reporting as a whole was right. And I think, you know— um, I understand this attack on the press. I think it's the tactic makes some sense, right? If you keep attacking it, you keep calling fake news, you're going to convince enough people that that stuff is fake and that you can't trust the reporting. But you can't convince everybody. You can't fool all the people all the time, right? And, you know, if good reporting keeps coming out and it keeps being grounded in facts and they can't deny enough things, then, you know, you just can't run away from it forever. It's hard for any of us to put ourselves in their shoes, but why do they just lie? Why do they deny, deny, deny? And they've been proven wrong so many times. That's one more time today. Um, This is Kellyanne Conway with George Stephanopoulos yesterday where he, she's a, and he's saying, you're one of the ones who was out there denying there were any meetings whatsoever. Back in December, you also denied any contacts between the campaign and Russians. I want to show our audience. Absolutely not. And I discussed that with the president-elect just last night. Those conversations never happened. I hear people saying it like it's a fact on television. That is just not only inaccurate and false, but it's dangerous. Does the president and, and it does undermine our democracy. It did turn out to be a fact. So who misled you and why did Don Jr., Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort allow those public denials to stand for so many months? So as I understand it, George, uh, some of the disclosure forms have been amended since that time and to reflect other meetings, including this one. Well, the disclosure forms were amended, but the fact is they lied. They said there were no meetings at all. Now we know meetings with Paul Manafort, Michael Flynn, Jeff Sessions, Carter Page, Jared Kushner, Donald Trump Jr. Right. I mean, it's really hard to, to, like you said, get inside the head of someone else. But it's also, you know, we don't know when people knew what they know, right? Like, we don't know if Kellyanne Conway knew that at the time. She could actually have been left in the dark, which would not actually be a good sign for the Trump administration either if they're leaving their top people in the dark. And if she did know and she was lying, I mean, there's a whole number of reasons why you could do George's it. then George's point was, okay, if you didn't know, right. these other people knew because they're the ones that had the damn meetings. Yeah. I mean, I just can't really imagine a situation where she's going to go on TV and then say, oh, yeah, no, I was I was lying or I was totally wrong. I was left, left in the dark by the president. She's not going to throw the president under the bus. So yeah, that's just, I mean, it's not a surprise I'm saying that you know, it, it unfolded that way. It's not it's not good. I don't like right. to see, you know, truth get bended and twisted into knots on live television. But but you'd have to say, wouldn't you, that if um, if, if the question of the day still is, was there we know the Russians tried to influence the election, did all the hacking, at least if you believe our intelligence agencies. Um, the question still is, was the Trump campaign and did the Trump campaign in any way collude with the Russians? If that's the question, and then you find out 
about a meeting with the president's son at Trump Tower with a Russian attorney who is close to the Kremlin and who was told ahead of time is part of the effort to throw the election. You, you and I can't say that's collusion, but it certainly adds fuel to the fire. Yeah, doesn't it? somebody's. I think it was John Dickerson said on TV today. I just saw it on Twitter. Yeah. So I, it, that, that it didn't prove collusion, but it proved that Don Jr. was collusion curious, which I think <laughs> is like kind of a good way to. Uh, it's like, I oh, think... I'm around the area of collusion, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily yeah. colluding, but like let's let's hear what you got to say. You know, yeah. kind of collusion yeah. adjacent. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that that is uh, that is a good phrase. So, um, are you a sports fan? I am, yeah. Did you grow up in New York? No, nope, I'm uh, from outside of Boston. Oh, just outside of Boston. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. No, well, you know, you may have. I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks, man. Okay, go New England. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, just, I wanted to know because you know, you may, uh, as a sports fan, be pleased to know that there could be a uh, very exciting new sports uh, commentator and sports talk uh, talk show host on the air uh-huh. uh, by the end of the year. Uh, and he had a little audition yesterday. Of course, we were talking about Chris Christie mm-hmm, yeah. on WFAN uh, in New York uh, for an audition yesterday and today uh, because Mike Francesco is off for a couple of days, I guess. And so uh, we'll see how well Chris Christie does. Let's see. He gets a call from Mike from Montclair. Mike in Montclair. What's up, Mike? Hey, Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach that is closed to the entire world except you, yeah. You put your fat ass in a car and go to hey. one that's open to all your constituents. Well, you know, not just you interesting, and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That what's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike. I love I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in, in Montclair. Montclair. You know, you're a bully, you Governor, are, you know, no, and I don't you know like bullies. You know what? <laughs> you know, like, I, I sports radio callers oh. are. Look, I mean, I don't listen to a ton of sports radio, but they are quick-witted. Put them in the White House briefing room. Seriously. (laughs) Honestly, man, they are sharp, and they're wicked. I love it. Hey, Gov. You're a bully, Gov. (laughs) I mean, he'd be good for that gig. Like, if people are going to call and yell at him, you get to hear the people yell at him, and then he gets to yell back. I mean, I think think people would listen to that. I like it. So he calls him a communist. He's Uh not done yet. He's got got to call him a couple of other names here. Right here. Here he is. Yeah, you know, you're swearing on the air, Mike. You're 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 a bum. You know, so you let's so let's just go, but, oh bad optics, okay? Mike. And I'd love to come look at your optics every day, buddy. Oh, that's you know what, and you know what, Mike. What matters is what you do. That's what matters. And what have you done? Oh, oh, Mike, I'm telling you. Yeah. I mean, we said earlier they ought to give that job to Mike. Seriously, I'm into I'm into that. I mean, I would just listen to a show between the two of them for hours. I mean, that would be great. If you're a hey, mouthy. If you're a mouthy blowhard that doesn't necessarily know what you're talking about all the time, you've got two job options, politician and talk show host. No yeah. offense. No offense to you, of course. <laughs> uh, you are my favorite mouthy blowhard, Bill. Uh, but, like, he'll be a natural in that role. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. Uh, they, they found uh, he finally maybe has found his calling from U.S. Attorney, right, to governor, to uh, <clears throat> head of the presidential transition team. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't last very long. To hot talk. Yeah. Right. WFAN. Potential presidential candidate. Well, he was a presidential candidate, but anyhow, now he is. Hot talk, right? WFAN. Uh, ben picked up the Washington Post this morning. There's a big picture of uh, Jason Kander and a big profile by Ben Terrace. What are you following him around for? What's he up to? This is a guy, to remind us. We all uh, discovered him when yeah. he was running against Roy Blunt for senator. So most people remember Jason Kander, who was running for Senate, because he had an amazing ad, which was putting together a gun blindfolded. It was this fantastic ad where 
basically he was saying the NRA is accusing me of being a gun grabber, but you know, look at me, I was in the military, I know how to use a gun. What's his background? Uh, he um, went to school in D.C., American University. He um, went after 9-11, he joined the military, went out to Afghanistan, was an intelligence officer, came back to Missouri where he's from, and uh, ran for the state house, became the secretary of state, was the youngest statewide elected, uh, or the first millennial to be elected statewide mm. in the country. Uh, and then he ran as a 35-year-old um, against Roy Blunt for Senate. And the race was very close. He did not win. Um, and so basically the premise of the story is uh, he's a big loser, so to speak, <laughs> but he's also still the future of the Democratic Party to a lot of people. And that both speaks to the party, which is, you know, they're kind of bereft of of stars. They don't have as many people that they would like. In their, they're bereft of younger stars. Younger stars, yeah. And so they can't just throw this guy away. Just because he lost, it doesn't mean they can get rid of him. How old is he now? He's 36. Uh, and after losing, he just he, he gave a really good concess- concession speech that he didn't write beforehand where he basically urged young people to stay in politics. You can't just leave because you don't like the result. In fact, you have to you know redouble your efforts. And he took his own advice, and within a couple weeks, he started a, uh, a nonprofit called Let America Vote, which uh, is to combat uh, voter suppression. And it's basically like a campaign structure. So he has been raising money to go travel around and speak to people about, um, you know, the future of the Democratic Party, but also raising money to fight Republicans who are bad on, uh, you know, voter suppression laws to him. Mm -hmm. You know, they they pick folks that they want to, you know, just like the Gabby Giffords on guns. It's like they they put money into races to to fight Republicans. Uh, is this a Missouri effort or a nationwide It's nationwide. Effort? So they just opened up a uh, uh, like an office in Manassas <coughs> to start doing Virginia Manassas? races. Manassas? Yep, yep. They're doing Virginia races because that's, you know, where things are hot right now. Yeah, um, absolutely. So he's 36. Um, I worked in Jerry Brown's presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. First time he ran for president, he was 36. So is it impossible that, let's see, three years from now, right, uh, Jared, Jason Kander would be 39? Yeah, I mean, that, is, it, is it impossible that he'd run? Absolutely not. I mean, he's not, you know, he's a politician. He's smart enough to not say he's going to run for president, especially on the heels of a loss. He, yeah, and Jerry was governor. He's right. not holding office, but he's former secretary of state. But people but. like him. I mean, he's charismatic. The, the funny thing about him is people keep calling him a normal guy, and it's like the biggest compliment you can give somebody. And he had a funny line especially about Especially a Democrat. Yeah, especially a Democrat. He doesn't seem like he's just a poll-tested weenie, you know? And he said to me, it's like, yes, yeah, the, the bar is so low in politics, you know? Like, nobody ever says, you know what's so great about my accountant? He's just a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, wow, what a normal guy thing yeah, to say. Yeah. Like, all right, that, he is pretty normal. So he, he's got that going for him. So he's, he's traveling around the country, doing fundraising, meeting candidates, helping candidates. Is... Yeah, yeah. And right now it's mostly like kind of so giving is speeches. He and for, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, he'll run for something he'll at run some point. For something. Uh, absolutely. Even he admits that, you know, if there's an election that he can see himself running for, he will run. But, he, you know, it's hard to say what he'll do now. Right. Um, uh, so you've also looked at some other uh, interesting characters, on the, particularly on the Democratic side. Yeah, um, I've been spending a lot of time with red state Democrats. Red state Democrats. Yeah. Uh, John Tester. Yeah, John Tester. Yeah. By the way, I mean, a lot of a lot of people have been writing about Democrats and red states and like in the Trump era, and I think you're doing a really good job of finding politicians who are perfect for their area, oh, right? And, and I think that that's important because yeah. we. 
we so often look at a guy like Barack Obama, who was a transformative figure and changed politics for Democrats. But at the same time, Barack Obama was really, really, really bad for a lot of states and a lot of areas where, like, Democrats could win, but Barack Obama couldn't win. Right. And so, like, there are guys like John Tester who probably couldn't become yeah, president. Yeah, what's Tester's but- secret? I mean, te- it's it it sounds like a cliche to say it, but it's like an authenticity card that can't be beat with John Tester. I mean, he's a he's still currently a working farmer. He might be the only he's definitely the only working farmer in the Senate. There are other you know Chuck Grassley is a farmer, I was about to say, but Grassley? but yeah. he has other people do his work. He's not sitting on a tractor. Yeah, I went out to Montana and spent time in Big Sandy, Montana, which is where he's from, where his farm is. Uh, and I sat on a tractor with him for 10 hours over the course of three days. And, he, and he's a big guy. So it was, yeah. like, it was a tight fit inside the cab of this tractor, like <laughs> trying to do an interview for, you know, hours and hours at a time. But he's actually driving the tractor. He's driving the tractor. He doesn't even have the GPS thing. You know, you can, a lot of these tractors, you can plug in the GPS, but he likes the feel Wait of Wait a minute. Why do you need a GPS for a tractor? Yeah, you, you just plug in the coordinates the and then you don't have to other? do anything. You can just, you know, put on the baseball game on Sirius XM <laughs> radio and, you know, take a nap. But he, you know, he does listen to the radio, but he's, yeah. he's driving the thing and. You know, he goes every weekend that he, he can. He goes back, and I guess, like, August recess used to be for farmers. That was the point. Oh, And right. he's the only senator using the August recess for its original purpose. And that plays really well in Montana, right? I mean, if you're a Democrat and you come into the state to run statewide and you seem like you've been poll tested and focus grouped and, you know, you're talking about all the things that, you know, maybe Barack Obama would talk about on the trail or Hillary Clinton would talk on the trail – it wouldn't play as well as, you know, a six, he's a seven-fingered. He lost yeah, three fingers yeah. in a meat-grinding accident when he's a kid. He still has the same meat grinder. He still uses it. I thought you were going to say he still has the fingers. He does not have the fingers. Mm. They got ground up into that yeah, beef. Sure. And what I want to know is if that beef still got <laughs> What happened to the yeah, beef? Yeah, if it still got eaten or what not. Happened to the I, beef? I don't want to know that. <laughs> I mean, that, maybe that's where he gets his power, you know, from <laughs> eating his own fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to know. That might be libelous right. if, I, if I were to say that's what he did, where he gets right. his power. Whatever it is. But, you know, Montana is a, is a red state that's elected a lot of Democrats. Yeah, it has. Yeah, Brian Schweitzer and mm-hmm. Max, Max Baucus. Yep, that's right. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. The, the, the Senate In the Senate, they can elect Democrats. In the House, they, have, they just don't tend to have a chance, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherrod Brown. Yeah, I just got back from uh, from Ohio with Sherrod Brown. And, you know, he's in some ways got kind of a similar thing, right? I mean, a big part of his appeal is he is a progressive. Unlike Tester doesn't call himself a progressive. But Sherrod Brown is a proud progressive in a red state. And, you know, part of my time out there, and I'll be writing about this over the next couple weeks, is um, how how is one of the most progressive members of the Senate also appealing to so many Trump voters? And Trump, you know, the white working class, the people that you think of as Trump voters, a lot of them vote for Sherrod Brown, and presumably a lot of them will, you know, in 2018 when he's up again. Yeah. We've had Sherrod Brown on. He's, he's a good friend of the show. We've had, he's been here in studio and on the phone many times with us. And d- during his reelection campaign, I mean, they, they went all – and during his original election campaign, uh, that, he was one of the tar- ones t- really targeted – Mm-hmm. Uh, by Republican national committees, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they put raised money all over the country against him and painted him as this really extremist, communist. I mean, he whatever. makes sense to be a top target. I mean, if you are if you were to create somebody for Ohio, you'd think, well, if you're going to run as a Democrat, you probably have to be moderate. You know, it's a red yeah. state, so yeah. you probably have to yeah. move over to the, right. to the Republican side of things. But he does kind of the opposite. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he talks a lot about trade issues and he talks a lot about, you know, 
getting bills for for retired or health care for retired minors, the kinds of stuff that is very specific to to the working class folks of Ohio. But he he does not shy away from his you know progressive bona fides. Did you talk to him about his uh, the when he was being considered for vice president? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the biggest mistake Hillary Clinton made. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I'll be writing about it, so I don't want to give okay. away all my reporting all right. here. But, yeah, yeah he, he talked a little bit about what that what that was like. And um, right. I don't know. Uh, for, for where I'm sitting, was, it's, it's, Did you have a sense it was for real? Or, you know, they always float all kinds of names for a vice president. But yeah, no. Some I, they take seriously. Some they really vet. Some they don't. I hope they I hope it was for real with Sherrod Brown. I, I, it was for my for my reporting. I understand it was for real. Like, can I say that he was in the top yeah. three versus the top five versus the top seven? I don't really know, but he was certainly considered. It, yeah. it was. An, it's an idea that I think was so smart that there's no way that the Hillary Clinton campaign could have come up with it. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a well thought out and smart idea that it could not have been real. I mean, but I'm curious what you guys think. I, my understanding is the bottom of the ticket. I mean, I guess we're talking about so few votes in certain places that anything could change it. You know, a, yeah. a raindrop could change, you know, the voting patterns in Michigan or something. But normally the number two on the ticket doesn't move that many votes. Right. You're going to vote for who you want president, not who you want to sit nearby well, to the president, yes, and maybe not do anything. Yes. But. Well, and of course, LBJ and John F. Kennedy is a classic example. But but you do, you do want. I think a vice presidential nominee, who certainly is not going to hurt, but who would, more importantly would bring something, maybe right. one key state or one key area. The one thing that Sherrod Brown, I believe, would have brought was the working class message to Michigan, Pennsylvania, yeah. Wisconsin, and Ohio. Yeah, and which Tim Kaine could not deliver. I, I remember when when Obama could Hillary when right. Obama was selecting his his vice president. We, it was so close. Apparently, some of the reporting <laughs> afterwards says that it it looked like it was going to be Evan Bayh, uh, and then things around the world kind of started heating up a lot more, and there were more world affairs that you really needed to have a hand in, and that was certainly a knock on Obama that he didn't really have that that um, experience, and so who did? Yeah, Joe Biden. And so that's kind of how that happened. But I hear your point. But I think in an election where, I mean, realistically, if you put up the, the amount of votes that, that, that decided the election in places like Michigan right. and Ohio. You got 75,000, 77,000 yeah. votes. Yeah. yeah. I think that maybe could have moved it. It could have. But, you know, when I was talking to folks in, in Ohio, I talked to a bunch of, you know, retired coal miners. And I asked them why so many of their friends and family members voted for, for Trump and and. What a lot of them said as well, because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And even if you have Sherrod Brown, yeah. it's still Hillary Clinton. You're right. And so, it, you know, it's tough. I think even with him, I mean, I don't know. And it, like I said, like a weather pattern could change things when it's this close. But it's right. still it's still tough. I have to ask you, have you, have, have you interviewed um, or spent any time you were talking to senators mainly, but uh, with Sherry Bustos from um, – Illinois. I have not, no, but I've She's I've read a, some great stories about her. Yeah. Michael Cruz in Politico had a, had a really good profile of her. Yeah, she's uh, she's another good friend of the program. And they're, 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 she's Southern Illinois, mm -hmm. you know, a district I think Trump carried by twenty votes, and she's a very yeah. pop, very popular, gets reelected, uh, and and has got a great solid message again on Democrat. Yeah, uh, classic Democrat about how well, you know a story what, about how the Democrat can win in a red. District. Well, what Jason Kander told me is that, and he was a red state Democrat, he's, his line that I thought was good was, people won't blame you if you don't agree with them as long as they think 
that the reason you believe what you believe is because it will help everybody, including them. Mm-hmm. And so it's not about necessarily having the same exact point of view on the issue. It's, well, you believe that because you think it will help me out. Yeah. And I think that's... Just about out of time, but I do know that you've also talked to a good friend of mine, Adam Schiff from California. Yeah. Blues, a big Democrat <laughs> in a blue state. Yeah, it's here. a little different. Yeah. What's, his, what's he looking at? Well, I mean, you know, I've mostly just been curious about what this process has been like for him. I mean, you know, he's on TV every day. He's yeah. uh, on the he's radio all, every day. He's on all, all the morning shows. Yeah, I mean, because he's morning. he's in the center of things, in the thick yeah. of things. And yeah. it's funny, you know, I was in his office and people came by from Indivisible, the uh, you know the grassroots yeah. group, just to come in and say hi. And they kept asking his staff if he was going to run for president. I mean, this is part of the reporting I've been doing, but you know, between hanging out with Jason Kander or Sherrod Brown or Adam Schiff is. Democrats, these guys are all very good politicians, but Democrats are so desperate for somebody to be a star that the easiest way to graft real stardom onto somebody is to like hope that they'll run for president someday. And so I'm curious about this kind of constellation of, you know, of where does the Democratic Party go from here? Who are the people that that rise to the challenge of, you know, being an opposition party to just a quick comment. The first conversation I had with uh, Senator Sanders about running for president Mm -hmm. is that he realized I mean, he, he didn't plan on running for president for all, like all of his life, like some of these people have. Does he realize that, and he told me this, nobody takes you seriously unless you run for president. Hmm. If you really want to get your ideas out there, you got to run for president. Yeah, and and, uh, and he said the time that nobody else would do it at that time, he would do it to get the progressive ideas out there. So, so you're on to something. Maybe. All right. Hey, Ben, great to see you. Yeah, Good, thanks for having me. Great reporting at the Washington Post. WashingtonPost.com. Ben Harris and all his other good colleagues there. Uh, Tuesday, the rest of it is all yours, folks. Have a good one. Come back and see us again tomorrow. We'll be looking for you. This is the Bill Press Show.